Hello, everyone, and welcome to Minute 72 of Season 3 of Movie Rob Minute, the daily podcast where we yippee our way through the 1988 Bruce Willis action flick Die Hard, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me again today is Eric Deutsch from Escape from New York Minute and Flash Gordon Minute. Welcome back to the show, Eric. Thank you. It's uh yes yesterday we 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 talked a little about candy today uh we'll, we'll get a little more candy not too much but uh you know today today we'll we'll have we'll have some uh you know interesting uh Christmas carols or Christmas uh tales to talk about who knows we'll see what that is so episode seventy two begins with the SWAT guys continuing to get into position and ends with Robinson looking on sternly trying to seem more important than he really is. <laughs> so yesterday we, we, we mostly talked about candy, but besides <laughs> that, we, we also dealt with the fact that the uh, SWAT guys who are not as professional as one would hope or expect them to be are getting ready for their assault and they run through these rose bushes, and today they continue to get ready for their assault, standing by the the big Batman style, uh, you know, spotlights. And then we we get a shot of Theo, who is humming. Uh, now, did did you ever try and figure out what he's humming? Actually, no. We'll leave that. We'll leave that. Actually, no. Okay. Have you? I'll let you answer that, but I'm not going to answer the, that real question till the very end. So, what do you think? Do you know what I, he's coming? I have not ever tried to figure out. I don't know what it is, but but what I do want to say about it is that he's humming like he's like me at my desk job. I mean, it's like it's like a day at the office for him. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yep, that's what it is. That is definitely true. So we'll, we'll we'll wait until a little later. When, when we get to the script, I'll be able to tell you what, what he's supposedly humming. And then we, we can debate whether he's really humming that or not. You know, that, that I'm not sure about, but uh, we shall see. So, the you know, he, he's, he's looking intensely at the computer, you know, which we assume he's typing. You can hear like the, you can hear the sounds of typing in the background or whatever. And, you know, they, they only show him for like two seconds. Which is just like really weird why they're showing him do this. And then and then we see a large sign saying loading dock to to the left. <laughs> and then the 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 shot the camera pans really quickly to the right and we see uh the limo now slowly driving through this empty parking lot. You know, and, and there's a big sign on uh above that says stop. Exit Olympic Boulevard. So I mean, you're a New Yorker. I grew up also in in on the East Coast and Midwest. So I I don't know anything about uh, about LA or anything like that. But what what do you what do you know about Olympic? Do you know anything about Olympic Boulevard? Uh, very little. I'm about 20 years ago. I was at a job where we had a couple of benefits that were out in Los Angeles, and so I had to spend like a few days for each of those benefits out in LA. And I just I, I remember at some point having to you know do give directions or maybe the hotel I was staying at or something. Uh, was on Olympic Boulevard. Right. So Olympic Boulevard originally was known as 10th Street, and it is one of the main roads of Los Angeles. It stretches from Ocean Avenue on the west end of Santa, Santa Monica uh, all the way to East L.A. 
and it, it's further than Wilshire Boulevard or most other streets. So basically, it's it's one of the the longest streets in in LA. All right, it uh, right. So what it it has mostly uh, four lanes across, right, and it doesn't cross any major attractions or sites. And therefore, it usually has less traffic. You know, the, some of the other streets in the area are Wilshire, Wilshire Boulevard, Santa Monica Boulevard, Sunset Boulevard, all of those. There, there's a, a lot more uh, reasons to drive on them, I guess you can say. I guess the reason to drive on Olympic is because there's no traffic. You know, After that, that list of streets you just named, I want to start singing I Love L.A. by Randy Newman. There you go. <laughs> And uh, basically, it it goes through West LA, Westwood, Century City, Beverly Hills, Hancock Park, Koreatown, Westlake, Downtown LA, Little Ethiopia, uh, Fairfax Avenue, and uh, therefore, and it uh, and then it continues to go through Boyle Heights, East LA, Commerce, Montebello. And the easternmost point of the road goes to Pico Rivera, which is a uh, uh, small neighborhood that, that's around there. And it was uh, – they changed the name from 10th Street to Olympic Boulevard. Can, can you guess when? I'm going to say 1984. Uh, you, you got the right idea, but you, you got the wrong Olympics. Ah. Um, the Olympics were held in 1932 in LA. Oh, okay. So then they changed the name to that, and it was because it was the uh, the tenth modern event, which is actually even more interesting that they changed Tenth Street to Olympic Boulevard. <laughs> you know, from that. So yeah, I, f I found that uh, quite interesting. Now there there are a few landmarks in, on along. Uh, Olympic Boulevard, you have the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco, the Los Angeles branch of it. You have the Grammy Museum. You have LA Live, Loyola Law School, Sammy Lee Square, Los Angeles High School, and National Academy of Recording Arts and Sciences headquarters. So apparently most people are not going to those places. And that's why uh, there isn't that much traffic on it. <laughs> Uh, so basically, the uh, the limo continues to move slowly through the uh, parking lot. Apparently, Argyle is trying to think of something to do. You know, he's uh, <laughs> he's trying to think of a plan. How am I getting out of here? And at some point, he just uh, you know parks and turns off the lights. You know, apparently out of uh, exasperation. Apparently, he doesn't want to you know ruin. He doesn't want to use up all his gas. Or use up electricity, or something like that. And then we we see him, and then uh, they they give us a great internal shot, where he looks up into the rearview mirror, and what does he see? The bear. The bear, exactly. Do 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 you know the history of this bear? Have you seen this bear in any other movies? Wow. Um, I have a feeling what you're about to tell me is going to make me think I have. Um, it is the bear in The Hunt for an October, also directed ah, by John McTiernan. John McTiernan, there you go. Okay. Yes. 
So my my assumption is it belongs to McTiernan. Mm. That would make sense. <laughs> or to someone else on the production that that uh, appeared in both movies. But yes, that is the same bear that appears in the final scene of the Hunt for October. Oh, that's great. Yeah. What I and, understand about here's what I don't understand about Argyle. He 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 clearly has finally given up. He realizes he's trapped in there. But considering I know this is jumping ahead a bit, how he ends up getting out in the end of the movie, why not just do that now? Maybe because he knows that there's a lot of cops around. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe later he hears that everything's pretty much over. And at that point it's worth coming out. Hmm. I mean, I don't know. It's a very good question. Um, but I think the the best answer is, is because it would not do the plot very well. <laughs> well, yeah, I was looking for an in-universe answer, but yes. Yeah, no, I, I, I realized that. <laughs> Letting Argyle out earlier just does, doesn't doesn't help. You know, especially considering the fact that they didn't know how when they were filming most of this movie, they didn't know the ending yet. They didn't know the whole thing about having the uh, ambulance in the back of the truck because when the truck shows up, there is no ambulance in the back. They have a magic ambulance that they're able to somehow, uh, you know, pull out of a hat or pull out of a truck. And it just shows up. <laughs> so Argyle looks at the bear and says, shut up. <laughs> and he, he, like, exhales really deeply when he's doing it. And, you know, he he's just had enough. He, he just, which, which is really funny because he's just, for the last two minutes, tried to get out. That's it. It's not as if he's been, you know, trying for hours to get out and now he's finally given up. You know, he's tried the the one or two exits, realized that he can't get out, and that's it. All right, I'm done. I got nothing better to do. No, no, he doesn't feel like partying anymore. No, he's, and he's got to break. He's, he knows he's stuck, so he's got he's got to break his tension by himself. So how does he break his tension? He tells a stuffed animal to shut up. Yeah, exactly. Because the stuffed animal is saying to him, "I told you so. You shouldn't have waited." <laughs> You should, you should, he, the bears basically saying to him, you should have taken me to see those mama bears. Right. So apparently this bear wants that too. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> and then uh, the shot changes again. We see the, the, the SWAT team outside again. And then we hear uh, the screaming, let's go. <clears throat> and they're, you know, the, the guys standing there, lights, they take off across the street. And they run off towards the building. These guys look like they're in a little better shape than the other guys that we had seen earlier. You know, you had four guys run across, and then we get we finally get McLean. You get to see McLean, and McLean goes, "Yo, you macho assholes! No, no!" And he bangs. I love how he bangs on the the window as if that's really gonna help. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm thirty thirty something floors up. I'm gonna bang on the window, and they're gonna hear me. You know, and so do you know the definition of the 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 term macho, like where that comes from, like machoism. Huh. Uh, no, actually, I do not. Okay, so it, a uh, in Spanish, macho means uh, male. So it's apparently a maleism, right? It's a sense of being manly or self-reliant, a concept associated with a strong sense of masculine pride or an exaggerated masculinity. The term originated in the early 30s and 40s, and it was best defined as people having pride in one's own masculinity. It's associated with a man's responsibility to provide for, protect, and defend his family. And machoism is strongly and consistently associated with dominance, aggression, exhibition, and nurturance. 
the correlation to macho, macho, the correlation to machism, machoism is found to be deeply rooted in family dynamics and culture. So, okay, that uh, it's interesting. I, I, I don't know why McLean actually says that. You know, like, why would he call them macho assholes? It just doesn't really make that much sense. What, what do you think? Uh, I mean, I guess he's he's using the word macho in the sense of like you know toxic over aggression masculinity kind of thing. You know, why are these guys rushing in here uh, to do this? This is a bad idea. You know, they're letting their uh, you know testosterone kind of run their thinking process. Right, but do you think that it actually gives? You know, is it something that that you think McLean would have said? Hmm. Yeah, because well, we we talked since... we talked earlier. Uh, you know, we we talked yesterday about the fact that you know we we can relate more to someone like him. We can relate more to 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 you know to Uli who who's hungry. You know, while he's just sitting there waiting to shoot some people. You know, things like that. And so. You know, would you attribute this type of line to John McClane? Or does it sound like well, it's a I mean, he is a very I mean, he is very cynical. And even though the character of John McClane has come to symbol, you know, one of the main symbols in movies of, you know, interest, ironically enough, considering this line, macho, you know, a macho man, he is, you know, portrayed in this movie, of course, like like I'm sure every guest has talked about as the everyman. Uh, and so that the everyman is sort of the opposite of someone who is macho. So I don't think it's entirely out of character for someone that's being portrayed that way to say that. Okay. That's fair. That's definitely fair. And so he, he, he starts banging on the window. Doesn't really do him much good. And then we get to see, see another shot of the four of them running across the, the, the grassy knoll, I guess you could say. And they 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 have a great way of of changing the shot to looking at looking at it from a monitor, you know the 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 wipe straight you know of, of having them run ac- run across where we see it you know that's being shot from you know the camera by Jan de Bont you know and then we next see them in a grainy type of shot you know, from the security cameras, you know, where we see them running across. And then uh, after a second or two, we we get to see uh, our good friend Theo again. Who, who is, by the way, is also eating. I know, I know. <laughs> Apparently Uli brought him a, uh, a candy bar. Yeah, I, I did notice that also. I love the fact that he's I love it. He's, he's doing something. Whether he's yeah. eating or whether he's chewing gum or something like that, I don't know. But he he's sounds definitely crunchy. got something. Sounds there. crunchy. <laughs> yes. Yes. Now he he starts his his uh, little diatribe here, where he goes, "All right, listen up, guys." So I'm going to first go through what he says, and then we'll, we'll talk about the the shots changed. We get to see numerous people throughout while he's talking, but I'll just first give the whole line. So he goes, "All right, listen up, guys. Twas the night before Christmas, and all through the house." Not a creature was stirring, except the four assholes coming in the rear in standard two-by-two cover formation. 
So I've always loved the line, the way that he does this, you know, because on the one hand, we, we see Theo as the computer geek, but apparently he has some sort of military background, you know, because for him to be able to say that he can recognize that they're in a standard uh, two by two cover formation, it means, you know, he's, he's more than just the tech guy. You know, maybe he was a tech guy in the army or something like that, but he he's definitely familiar with with that type of uh, jargon, you know, as he's doing it. So while he's talking, the the shot changes. First, we get to see our old friend Yuli uh, Uli uh, eating a crunch bar. You know, we yes, mentioned we yesterday. Know what he chose. That's right. We didn't know last week, uh, yesterday's episode, what he chose. We now know what he chose. That is correct. <laughs> and 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 we talked about the aluminum foil wrapping. There we yep. can see that very, <laughs> sure. very easily. And not only that, we see that part of the wrapper falls down and we can see that it says crunch. You know, we can see part of the crunch. And then we, we see Eddie, who seems to have an itch in his ear because he like puts his <laughs> finger in his ear and starts like tweaking his ear. I mean, can we just talk about how, you know, with Uli, you know, with the candy bars and with Theo eating and turning this into a Christmas carol and, and Eddie picking his ear. I mean, these guys were about to engage in a shootout with charging police officers. Could they be more laid back and lackadaisical about what's about to occur? Exactly. The guy's cleaning out his earwax here. That's right. <laughs> the question is, is, is what ear does he have his, uh, his ear plug in? You know, is he listening to <laughs> yes. Theo? In, is, is he is he is he clearing out earwax or is he playing with uh with his earpiece you know could could be either of them and then uh we get another shot of of james on the roof again you know listening to the whole thing listening to this uh, uh bedtime story you know <laughs> and i think it's very important that we see james in that in that position we'll talk about it later in the week but it's very important that we see him on the top of the building and then we see a picture of hans okay who is in a darkened room you know we have like part of the blinds opened and so there's there's like little lines uh you know we, we see from the the bat lights downstairs you know that that they are shining on him but he he looks very, I don't know. He looks, he looks like someone slashed his face, like with claws or something like that. With the way that the blinds, you know, are, are uh, you know, making lines on his face. Yeah, cool shot, cool effect. Yeah, it really is. I, I really like the way that they they do it. And then uh, at this point, we, uh, you know, we we see the uh, SWAT guys. Once again, and, uh, you know, we hear one of them say, okay, we're all set. And they, uh, they, they get into position. And at this point, we, we get a sh the, the final shot of the minute by seeing uh, Robinson, you know, looking over and trying to figure out what's, uh, what's going on. You know, I, I like the fact that they give us a close-up of these SWAT guys. It gives us, you know, beforehand, you know, we, we joked yesterday about, the, you know, the SWAT guy you know, pricking his, his his hand, and and we we talked about. Uh, I mentioned the fact that some of them look like they're out of shape, but the four guys that they have here look like they're they're definitely up to the task. You know, the, these are the guys that should be doing this type of thing. Mm. You know, and they they look very professional in what they're doing. You have that the the main guy, you know, is on his headphones, saying that we're all ready, we're ready to go through, and then you you got the other guys, 
you know, ready, ready to continue with what they need to do. And then we, we get a shot of, of Robinson just looking on, you know, uh, we, we see Al also looks and we see the, the, the head of the, the SWAT team. And we also see, you know, the, the guy who later will play Ricky in the third Die Hard movie also look on, you know, the three of them are just looking on, or all four of them are standing there looking on as to what's going to happen. And we'll, we'll, we'll have to wait until tomorrow to find out exactly what's going to happen. Now, I mean, he mentions here the whole thing, uh, Twas the Night Before Christmas. So do, do you know the history of that uh, Christmas poem? Uh, I don't know the history of it. I mean, like almost anyone, I know the poem itself, uh, but I don't know uh, the history. It's, it's called A Visit from St. Nick, right? That is one of the, the the names of it. It has numerous names. Okay. Um, it's, it's either the visit a visit from Saint Nick or the night before Christmas. Those are the two main ones that are mostly used. Um, I I went into a little bit of detail at the beginning of planes and automobiles because we actually one of the buildings that uh, that that Steve Martin's character runs past was the building that that. Uh, that uh, the author, who's known as uh, uh, Clement Clark Moore, uh, he lived there. So we, we talked a little bit about that. So I'm not going to go too much into it, but basically um, there, there's a little bit of, of a dispute as, as to who the uh, author is. It could either be Clement Cl uh, Clark Moore or Henry Livingston Jr., but it was first published on December 23rd, 1823 in the Troy Sentinel newspaper in upstate New York. So as I mentioned, it's either referred to as a visit from St. Nick or the night before Christmas. Um, I'm, I'm not going to go through the whole the whole thing now because there's like 56 lines of it. You know, most people know it, as you said, you can, you can easily look it up because we're, we're not really going to. But the, the, the idea is, is that the way that... Uh, Theo gives off this information as to everything that's going on here. He does it in the the, the same uh, tonage that people usually read the the poem in. That really works. So, is there anything else you want to say about this minute before we get into the the script? Uh, two. I had two other items. Uh, one is back at the beginning of the minute when I thought it was really good editing how they were using Argyle's situation as a tension breaker for the obvious buildup to a battle. You know, the music's getting more and more intense, but then we cut to Argyle and the music mellows out and you're expecting the battle to start any second because you know the cops are coming in now and you know that they're getting their guns ready. Um, and you're like, oh, the battle's going to start, but then it cuts to Argyle. And so it's like, it's almost like you're building up the tension to the battle at the same time that they're breaking the tension. And I and I and I and I think the editing in that in this minute is really well done and does a really good job with that. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I think though that part of it is to also remind us, you know, they want to constantly remind us throughout the movie that Argyle is stuck in the basement mm -hmm. because he's needed later. You know, they they don't want it to be that that you know we left Argyle at uh, you know minute twenty and the next time we see him is uh, minute one thirty two. <laughs> you don't want to turn him into Chekhov's limo driver. <laughs> exactly, that's right. It's definitely true. Uh, All right. And, the other and you said is, there's other things. Right, yeah. Things. I'm going to assume that you've already discussed this with previous guests. So if you have, that's quite all right. But I just want to be 100% sure. Have Has it already been discussed that the actor that plays Eddie looks like Huey Lewis's twin brother? Not only has it been 
mentioned. It <laughs> okay, was whoa. Yes. It was mentioned by my guest who is doing a. He's a a documentary director who is has been tailing Huey Lewis for for I think three years doing <laughs> a Huey Lewis um, documentary. So that is awesome. <laughs> So if anyone would notice that it looks like Huey Lewis, you know, Kurt Kurt was the right person for that. Perfect. I have yeah. always referred to Eddie's character simply as Huey Lewis. I don't even ever call him Eddie. <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. Are there any other characters that you refer to by different names because they look like someone else? Uh, hmm. There's a reason I'm bringing this up because there is someone that I constantly refer to. And I love getting going back to him as much as possible throughout this entire podcast, even though he's... He's last shown in like minute uh, 16 or something like that. Nothing is coming to mind. So the, the first security guard um, okay. in the lobby uh, looked yep. to me like John Larroquette. So I always refer the to one, him as John The one John who like first lets him into the, into the building, uh, like yeah. he's first talking to them? Yeah, the one, the one who talks about uh, finding your zipper. <laughs> that's, what, that's what I would refer to so the the script all right so there there's there aren't that many differences here but one there i found two that are that are pretty interesting okay first of all is the description of uh it shows uh interior of the vault door christoph drills away is rewarded with the message fifth lock deactivated do you wish to continue nearby theo sits at a bank of monitors screen after screen pinpoints all the police activity outside down to the last detail, Theo smiles. So I like the fact that in the script, they mention that just because Theo is now dealing with the police outside, Christoph, who is apparently his assistant, uh, is still is still working. Hmm. You know, so it's not as if they've stopped trying to get through these locks. You know, so I, I like that added touch. And then the the last line of the, of this paragraph says suddenly we recognize the tune that he's been whistling all along he's been whistling singing in the rain now <laughs> i don't know i don't know if that's true it doesn't uh, to to me i couldn't i couldn't figure that out when i was listening to the, what he was humming but at least that's what they wanted him to be humming in the script <laughs> I wonder if Clarence Gilliard didn't know Singing in the Rain and so, uh, or didn't know it well enough. So it was like, oh, yeah, sure. Let me hum. I'll, that, just, sure. I'll just hum Top Gun. <laughs> <you know. laughs> All right. So every Tuesday we have a segment called Off the Beaten Track Holiday Edition, where my guests will give a little anecdote story about some sort of uh, adventure, misadventure, or something that happened to him over the course of the holidays at some point in his life. So, Eric, you have a story for us? Uh, so this isn't necessarily a story. It's more of a, just a, a fun memory. Um, fun memories are good, too. <laughs> uh, we don't really do Hanukkah anymore since I was a kid, um, but there is one Hanukkah that stands out the most to me from when I was a kid, and that's because my parents got me the Millennium Falcon, the old Kenner from, you know, the early 80s, late 70s, early 80s. Millennium Falcon was my Hanukkah gift that year. And that is the greatest holiday gift I've ever received in my entire life, as anyone of our generation can certainly understand. Yeah, I, got, I, got, I, I get a lot of, uh, of of Star Wars figures for, for, for Hanukkah over the years, for sure. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely up there with you. I, I never got the Millennium Falcon. The closest, I think the, the only... 
the the only um transport that i ever got or any only uh ship that i ever got was was the imperial transport from from the empire strikes back where you have the the you know the guy sitting on the outside and like it it opens up and you can put guys on the inside also and it's something that you can see in the movie for like a fraction of a second you know <laughs> on off and I, I always had a lot of pride that 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 was the one thing I got because it was it was a troop transport. You like you can you can open up the two doors and put a driver and a co-pilot or a pilot and a co-pilot in, and then you had like six slots on the side to put different uh, men on there, and then you can open up the back and put a whole like just stuff as many of them in there as you want. <laughs> so yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, yeah. You know, if your if your wife hears this story, she might now think of something better to give you for Hanukkah. You know. Next <laughs> <laughs> you never know. All right. So you want to tell people how they can get in touch with you, Eric? Sure. Uh, so I'm the co-host of Escape from New York and Flash uh, Minute and Flash Gordon Minute. And uh, both have Facebook pages, both have Twitter feeds. So you can certainly contact us through there. And you can listen to both shows on any of your favorite podcatchers. All right. Excellent. And while you're doing that, you can go rate, review, and subscribe on any podcatcher that you find this show on. And while you're doing that, you can find me. By just doing a quick search for Movie Rob Minute, you can find me on Facebook, you find me on Twitter, and you can go directly to my website, MovieRobMinute.com. So, until tomorrow, yippee-ki-yay! yippee ki